Hello there, friends. This is Spencer Michaud, and today we're going to be talking about Mars moving into the third decan of Taurus. So this is the area of the zodiac between 20 and 30 degrees of Taurus, and we're going to break it down. We're going to be talking about Venus squaring Mars uh, during this period on the 19th of February. Um, we are going to be talking about a few fixed stars. Mars is going to be conjoining uh, Capulus at 24 degrees of Taurus and Algol at 26 degrees of Taurus. That's going to be happening on the 21st and the 25th of February, respectively. And then we'll try to break down Mars, uh, Mars's trine with Pluto on the 24th. So um, like we do on these uh, forecasts, we will be doing an I Ching reading and uh, trying to make some sense out of all of this. This is a this is an intense one. This is one where we'll have to deal with some underworld themes here. So we'll, we'll try to unpack it the best that we can. I did want to say, I wanted to thank all of you that uh, came to the New Moon live stream a few days ago. We did a New Moon in Aquarius 3 live stream, and that was really fun. So I really appreciate all of you that came out and checked that out. I think I'm going to try to make that a regular thing uh, at the new and the full moon. So keep your eyes out. Um, for the full moon version on February the 27th. Um, and if you want to get notifications for when I'm going to be going live, make sure you hit that subscribe button. And uh, you can sign up on my mailing list too. That's on my website, spencermichaud.com. Um, yeah, it, it was a great time and we had some really great questions. And thank you all for, for participating. So with that being said, let's take a look at our chart and try to break down our time period here with Mars in the third decan of Taurus. So uh, today is Valentine's Day, February the 14th, and this is the day of the ingress um, of Mars into the third decan of Taurus. So this, this happened around 9.43 in the morning, Eastern Standard Time, uh, and it will be traversing this, uh, this area of the Zodiac until March the 3rd at 10.30 or so p.m., where, when it will move into Gemini. So this is uh, Mars in its exile, uh, a place where it is opposite one of its domiciles, opposite Scorpio in the sign of Taurus. This is a Venus-ruled area of the Zodiac, a, a Venus-ruled temple, so if we're trying to create our astrological sentences, Mars is the verb that is creating severing, separation, um, aggression, anger. Uh, it's challenging us to have courage so that we can overcome some of the difficulties that are inherent in the path where Mars is treading. Mars is also the planet of bad fortune. So this is something where we may be experiencing a hardship that isn't necessarily any fault of our own. Um, and that may come through Venus-type significations. Uh, so this could come through our you know, pursuit of our desires. It could come through, uh, I, Venus was a, a, a natural significator of women in our life. It could come through the women in our life. It could come through uh, our attachment to, to beauty and to um, lust or things of that nature. With Venus moving through the third decan of Aquarius during this period of time, okay, let's just take a look at this where everything is right now. Um, this is going to be, uh, actually, Venus is in the second decan of Aquarius as I speak, but it will shortly be moving into the third decan. So Venus is, is basically in a Saturn-ruled sign. So Venus is trying to uh, smooth over leaving the past behind and embracing uh, an idealistic future uh, and perhaps through the creation of some kind of new social agreement. So we may be experiencing some hardship as we are trying to, to leave the past behind, as we're trying to maybe recover from some kind of um, defeat that we experienced that was idealistic. Uh, maybe that there was a, a some kind of I like the word narrative because I think a lot of our life is based on the stories that we tell ourselves, and we take a lot of our actions based on our beliefs and our beliefs are just stories. So we may have experienced a defeat during this period of time 
based on a narrative that was either false or what was outdated. Um, and we're experiencing a separation from potentially some of the physical resources in our life as well with Mars moving through uh, Taurus and the Earth sign of Taurus. Um, in the second decade of Taurus, our natural routines, our natural rhythms were disrupted. And as we move into the third decade, uh, this is there is a natural progression between Taurus one, two, and three. In the first decade, we're kind of planning for how we're going to plant the fields of our life. Um, in the second decade, we're creating success through some kind of consistent effort over time. And in the third decade, we may be protecting uh, our creation or our fields from a, a threat, from something that would maybe uh, create, um, you know, pestilence or some kind of challenge to the things that we're trying to bring into fruition. This was a Saturn ruled face of Taurus. So it is a double Saturn ruled face by the Chaldean system and by the um, triplicity system. So this is something where we may have to uh, protect against uh, things that wish to threaten us or things that wish to disrupt our, our creative process. Um, we may have to do the hard work necessary of, of tending to the creation that we've tried to make. Um, we may feel an aggressive uh, need to do that. Uh, so this could be where we feel like we're trying to create something new. All right, we're trying to create fertility, um, which requires patience. The, the key with this decan is patience and faith. But with Mars here, we may be trying to either rush the process we may be overly aggressive in defending ourselves against perceived threats. Um, we may be trying to rush something that is going to that, that really requires us to be receptive and to allow the natural process to happen. So that's something to consider as we move forward here. Uh, Mars will be moving through the terms of Jupiter from 14 to 22 degrees, then moving into the terms of Saturn from 22 to 27 degrees. And then it will have uh, dignity by uh, as its own bound lord from 27 to 30 degrees. Now, uh, when planets move into the area of the zodiac with malefic bound lords, uh, bound lords are kind of like the curriculum setters, the malefic planets being Saturn and Mars. It's a it's a little bit dip, more difficult territory, excuse me, for a planet. Um, we're always kind of experiencing maybe some tough lessons uh, where we have to kind of you know, rebalance through either contraction or for, through leaving something behind. So this may be part of our story here as well. Um, Book T calls this tarot card, the seven of pentacles, failure. Uh, Book of Toth calls it success unfulfilled. Um, here we see a figure leaning on a, leaning on a, a farm tool, uh, some kind of hoe or something like that, <laughs> where he is, you know, looking at what he's created and maybe having to have patience, maybe he's disappointed about what the fruits of his labor, that we see a lot of leaves, but not a lot of fruit on the vine yet. Um, so it may be where we're still having to, to toil away at our craft, um, but we're not seeing the results of that yet. And that could be leading to some frustration. Um, maybe you've worked really hard and you're not really receiving the benefit yet. Um, Austin Kappa calls this card a string of prayer beads. And that's really interesting because that's going to be part of our uh, our story today, which uh, will include its daimon or its spirit that was associated with this decan in the, an ancient Hellenistic fragment called 36 Heirs uh, of the Zodiac. And the daimon associated with this decan is the litai. And the litai uh, were uh, spirits of prayer. So this is, uh, this is a, uh, a decan that requires patience, faith, repentance is another word that came up with this. So the Litai were always um, counterbalanced with uh, the Daimon 8, A-T-E, which was a spirit of delusion and folly. Uh, we could also call 8 error. Um, and this was associated with rash actions, reckless impulse. Uh, 8 would lead people down the path of ruin through through her impulsive, impulsiveness. Um, she was a daughter of Eris, Eris being strife, and the sister of toil, forgetfulness, starvation, pains, and, an, and an, a litany of other 
uh, difficult things, uh, personifications in Greek mythology. So eight is basically like causing uh, people to rush into things, to um, disregard the natural process, and leading them maybe even through hubris into ruin. Ruin is another key word associated with eight. But the litai, now this is the, this is the turnaround. The litai were spirits of prayer. They were, uh, you know, I believe they were ministers of Zeus uh, that were following behind eight. Uh, they were seen as hobbling old women, okay? They were following in the wake of eight, in the wake of ruin, and they were offering prayers that could be, uh, if you received these or if you were uh, offering your own prayers to them in, repent in repentance for your rash actions. So this is about making amends. This is about the, the accepting uh, your ability to have faith um, and not turning away your, your responsibility to, um, to accept uh, the, the error of your ways on some level. So a lot of uh, this process, this cycle could be about understanding areas of our life where we've been a little bit impatient, where we've been trying to rush through things, which has been causing issues. We do have a giant stack up in Aquarius right now um, that is squaring, is, is in the overcoming square to Mars. Mars is co-present with Uranus, so we're trying to do something new and we might want to do it in this really innovative, unorthodox way. We might want to do it right away, and we want to shatter all the boundaries that are, you know, uh, keeping us in what we perceive to be shackles of the past. Um, but we have to be patient. Uh, all this Aquarius energy does not just manifest overnight. Aquarius is the long-range view. Aquarius is a Saturn-ruled sign. So Saturn doesn't do anything quickly. It moves very slowly. Even in an air sign, Saturn is still going to be uh, the boss here. Uh, it's going to be, you know, encouraging us to take our time to seek balance. I think this is one of the things I've been really excited about with a new understanding of Saturn is yes, it's a malefic and yes, some of these challenges may feel painful, but ultimately I think the, the real gifts of Saturn is a, is a rebalancing of uh, that right proportion that we talked about with the concept of nemesis. Okay, uh, Mars will also be making a, a trine to Pluto um, and a sextile to Neptune throughout this period. Okay, so those are the whole sign aspects we're going to be seeing throughout Mars's journey through Taurus 3. Now, the two fixed stars, we had 24 degrees uh, Taurus, Capulus, and 26 degrees Algol. Both of those fixed stars are in the constellation Perseus. So we will take a look at Perseus and take a look at the mythology associated with Perseus and with Medusa, because I think that they are definitely interconnected and, and you can't have one without the other. Um, so let's, uh, let's see what we've got here. Let me think for a minute. All right, so you can see here, all of these planets are overcoming uh, Mars. One of the things I did wanna point out is because Saturn, and this is really the big, the big planet that is creating some of the challenges here is this is a, you know, a repetition of an aspect that we experienced through most of 2020, the Saturn uh, square to Mars with Saturn in the overcoming position where we really wanted to move forward. Um, but Saturn was saying, wait, slow down. There's, there's some things that you need, some loose ends you need to tie up. There's, there's some uh, responsibilities that you have before you can move forward on your new chosen path. And this is, this is a similar thing. We may have to think about, all right, how does your vision fit into the greater scheme of things? How does your self-directed action for creating material prosperity fit into your community, your society? Um, are you taking action um, with integrity? That's something that's been coming up in the videos over the course of the last few weeks too is, is really staying true to our integrity and not taking an action that would cause us to, to regret something uh, in the future. So that may be something that we're dealing with. And, and we all fall short of the glory. There's probably been some missteps as we've been trying to figure out 
um, how to deal with this new reality that we're trying to navigate. Um, I think everybody's experiencing this. I think the pandemic's just been a, uh, a real game changer as far as how society is organized right now. And there may be some things that we just never go back to. It's been kind of a, I don't know, a very transformational process where we're, you know, really struggling to emerge from, from whatever this cocoon is into to the birth of a new, a new arrangement, a new agreement with one another. Um, and we've got new challenges. We've got new challenges about uh, understanding that the actions that we take as individuals have reverberations for our communities, for our countries, for our planet, for the animals that we share this planet with. And I think that uh, mystical folks have always known this, but I think that this is becoming more, um, more apparent to the collective as we, we deal with things like climate change and we deal with things like uh, infectious diseases where our personal actions can affect other people in our community. So um, our choices, right? Our choices can have an effect on other people. So some things to consider here. Now, again, we do have both benefics also in this ever overcoming position. So I think ultimately, if we're able to answer Saturn's call, um, we might be able to find some real benefit uh, in the long term from doing this. But again, anytime we're trying to make changes in our life, anytime we're trying to do something new, uh, there, there are obstacles inherent within the path. And it's very easy uh, when we are trying to test things out to make a mistake, maybe through, through some impatience, through some uh, hubris, through not necessarily understanding the lay of the land, you know, the new territory that we're trying to navigate. That's, that's human. You know, and the key is, can we learn from our mistakes and can we integrate them into our experience and so that we can continually refine the expression of what we're trying to bring to fruition? And I think that's another thing to, to consider. Now, let's talk a little bit about um, Venus's square with Mars, and then we'll, we'll get into Perseus. Okay, so on February the 19th, um, we're going to see, let's go forward here in time. We'll go directly to it. Okay, on February the 19th, you're going to see Venus making a, an exact square with Mars in Taurus. We're going to feel the lead up to this for a few days beforehand, probably starting around the 17th or so. You're going to start to feel this energy as, as we see the planet apply within three degrees. And uh, this could be where our desires to leave that past behind, as represented by the Seven of Swords in our, in our tarot, um, which is third decan of Aquarius, where Venus is residing, um, could lead to some, some rash actions, could lead to some corruption, could lead to uh, some, some ruin, folly, uh, hubris. And uh, we have to really be conscious of that, that we are, uh, we could run into some difficulty, maybe even through some jealousy or some possessiveness. Uh, if we could be bringing up some anger as we leave things behind. The third decan of Aquarius was also associated with accumulated resentment. So we may be dealing with letting go of some of our accumulated resentments from the past so that we can finally move forward into our new expression. And that's not always going to be fun. That may necessitate leaving uh, some structures behind too, because Mars is moving through an earth sign. Now, the moon is also going to be activating this square on February the 19th too, um, because the moon's going to be moving through Taurus. You can see that. So we really are going to feel this quite a bit on, the February, on February 19th, which is Friday. All right. So key here would be untangling from some of these past karmic debts, from some of these old narratives. Again, uh, stories, 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 stories. I think one a good exercise to do is um, write out the story of what you are experiencing, like you are an author. This is why journaling is really important. I journal every day. I do like, a, you know, morning pages from this book. I, it, it's a practice I learned from this book called The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron. And uh, she was a recovering alcoholic at one point, and she found that uh, some of the similar techniques for recover recovering from alcoholism you could use to recover from 
being blocked creatively. And so she talks about journaling and getting all this junk out of your head. It's not even about being creative with it. It's about how can you just get this brain dump every day so you're not carrying with you all this garbage, you know? And uh, that's been a really helpful process for me because I'm when I'm when I write it down on paper, I'm able to see my life as a story, and I'm and I know that I have my own subjective viewpoint of the events that happened in my life, and that allows me to have some more objectivity as I move forward along the path. So sometimes when we write things out, we can be like, you know what, that's just a story, and I can first of all accept uh, my position, but also realize that I don't have to keep you know, carrying it with me, I can, I can start writing a new story. And one, one really interesting creative story um, technique is how can you write out your future? This is all about intention setting, right? How can you write out a different story? If your narrative is that you're always failing uh, in a certain area of your life, and it's because you're a victim of this, this, and this, and et cetera, how can you write a story that where you succeed? Um, and how can you start to bring that into your awareness? Um, even just by writing it out differently, it, that there is potential to begin to change your consciousness in that regard. It doesn't mean we don't accept some of the, the sober realities of our life. We definitely have to do that, including the pain. Um, and this might be part of the process with Mars in Taurus 3 is acknowledging some of the pain. And ultimately, though, to, so we can release it and move forward. Because I think that one of the key key things that we're moving towards is once Mars hits Gemini, it's going to be start to make a trine to a whole mess of planets that it used to be squared with. So we may really hit uh, our stride in the beginning of March um, when Mars hits Gemini, and we might be really able to kind of take action on some of the plans that we've been making uh, because we've been able to deal with the past in a in a um, healthy way. Okay, so that's what we've got for Venus squared Mars on the 19th of February. Okay, let's talk about uh, what is going on on the 21st. Excuse me. I always like to eat a snack before <laughs> I do these talks. So sorry if I'm like muffling like uh, my digestive process. <laughs> I know that's that's not what you want to hear, but um, it. Trust me, with a Taurus moon, it's better that I don't have low blood sugar during during these talks rather than uh, being hungry and like my brain just going all foggy. Um, so sorry, probably a little too much information there, but so it goes. Um, when Mars hits 24 degrees of Taurus, as we can see around February the 21st. It's going to be conjoining a fixed star called Capulus. And this was the sword of Perseus. So I'm going to go over to my uh, star chart. And what I'd like to do is I'd like to show you what we're looking at here. So first of all, Mars is, where is Mars? Here is Mars right here, I think. There's Mars. Oops. So I'm looking at my star chart and we're looking at the area of the zodiac. I'll zoom out just a little bit. You could see this green line here is the ecliptic, the path of the sun. Okay. And we are in the area of the zodiac where we do see uh, this big constellation Taurus, right? Now we have part of Taurus's body. There's Mars in the in the ankle of of Aries the ram. But remember, we're dealing with two different zodiacs here, the sidereal and the tropical. In Western astrology, we're dealing with tropical zodiac that's based on the interplay of light and dark over the course of the year. So here we're seeing this by projected ecliptical degree, Mars is going to be hanging out with uh, Perseus. So here's Perseus, who was an ancient Greek hero. Here is his sword. Okay. And we have uh, one of the fixed stars in the sword of Perseus, right, which is somewhere over here. Uh, we're going to be looking at Capulus. So one of the things that we experience with Capulus is rash, the rash side of 
male energy, I guess, or masculine energy. Bernadette Brady calls it masculine kundalini energy. Um, and like any sword, a sword can be a tool uh, or a sword can be a weapon. You know, it, it is, uh, we can use it to defend ourselves. Um, we can use it to, to murder or to hurt other people. So this is one thing that we're going to have to really work through um, with Mars conjoining this fixed star Capulus. So this is also a nebula area over here too. All right, there's a nebula here. When nebulas were associated with blindness, um, so just be careful with anything sharp around your eyes or anything like that around this period of time. Um, but in general, when Mars is here, we, we have to be careful that we're not getting, um, you know, ruthless with our aggressive ambition, um, where we are, you know, trying to take some kind of rash or reckless action. We may be getting frustrated that we're not moving forward, uh, you know, quickly enough, um, and we could get ourselves into some danger here. This, this may be the part of the, the story where we run into to eight, when we run into ruin and where some of our delusions can cause us to, um, to, to disregard our, our you know, higher selves and rush headlong into something. Uh, now, there, there's some really interesting paradoxes between Capulus and Algol. So let's talk about Algol a little bit with the understanding that Mars is going to conjoin Algol at 26 degrees of Taurus around the 24th and the 25th of February, the same time that Mars is making a trine to Pluto and Capricorn. So this is really interesting to me. Um, I'm a little nervous about this one, to be honest with you. Here's Algol. Um, Pluto, Mars is already a very violent, difficult, um, it's a very violent and difficult position of aspect. Okay. Here we see the head of Medusa, the severed head of Medusa. Algol was a binary star that was a, the ancients used to think of it as the blinking eye of Medusa. And since it was a binary star, there was some kind of dark satellite that would cause it to blink in and out of view. Um, over the course of a few days. And, and to the ancients, that was a, a very, very bad omen. Now, one of the, uh, the other names for Algol uh, in, the, in the Chinese tradition uh, roughly translates to piled up corpses. So on a mundane level, we, we can see a lot in the historical record with Algol placements with, with massive amounts of death, uh, with a lot of very violent acts, um, it's, it's, it's probably one of the most dangerous and feared stars in the heavens, if not the most feared fixed star. Now, that doesn't mean that it doesn't have a positive side. This was something that I was really uh, debating when I was doing this research because um, there are lots of like magical practitioners out there that use Algol for protection. And I wanted to understand that side of it a little bit better. And I think that to understand that side of Algol, the protective aspect, we have to kind of dig into whether we are accepting more of a patriarchal understanding of myth or, or one rooted in the sacred feminine. And how do we balance these two uh, approaches to myth out? Now, a lot of Greek mythology was really based on patriarchal type of um, beliefs and uh, we, we do see Perseus as like the conquering hero. In some of the research that I did, they talked about Perseus's sword severing, uh, you know, Medusa, which represented the desires of the body. In a lot of religious tradition, they associate the feminine or the sacred feminine with the body or the body with the sacred feminine. Um, but in these patriarchal understandings of religion, you know, they thought of it as something to be transcendent, you know. So in Greek myth, uh, the story goes is that Medusa was a very beautiful maiden, and she took a vow of celibacy, and she was, I believe, so, uh, an attendant in Athena's temple. And she um, she might have been one of like, like sort of like Vesta, make one of the Vestal virgins. I'm not sure on that. That seems to make sense if that could be part of the story here. 
but she was she was basically raped by Poseidon, um, you know, taken advantage of forcefully in Athena's temple, and in Greek mythology, and this is something that I didn't I can't quite understand in my modern mind, uh, you know, she was punished quote unquote by Athena, and turned into this hideous gorgon with snakes for hair, and her gaze would turn any man into stone. I read a really interesting article online from a with a feminist perspective on this fixed star, uh, and they they talked about um, that being maybe a gift from Athena rather than a punishment, where uh, this this was Athena allowing Medusa, who had taken a vow of celibacy, to basically be have protection from the male gaze, and she, so she wasn't like, you know. Uh, she wasn't hurt by them anymore. Her, her gaze would allow her to, to petrify anyone that would seek to, to hurt her anymore. So it could even be a story of protection and, and almost redemption on some level. Um, now, when Medusa's head was severed from her body, Perseus used it to, uh, to turn the kraken, or now we know uh, it is basically the whale Cetus in the sky. We can see this here if we zoom out a little bit. Here's Andromeda, that, the damsel in distress in Greek mythology. Here's Cetus the whale coming to get her. Um, he used that to turn the, the kraken or, the, or Cetus to stone, right? But here's an interesting thing. When uh, his task was done, Athena took the head of Medusa and put it on her shield and was like, I'm going to use this head for protection, you know, uh, for my own protection. So, this is, this is really an interesting um, understanding of this myth is this, this was, you know, Algal was the evil eye, quote unquote, but, but this is, um, uh, you know, it could be used to drive away uh, being taken advantage of in a certain situation. Um, and this is something where we may have to deal with our feelings of um, being overcome, our feelings of helplessness, right? And we may be tempted to either lash out or to uh, try to protect ourselves in a certain way with Mars conjoining Algol. Um, this may be where we're letting go of old trauma. There, it, you know, Algol and Medusa's story is a story of trauma. It's a story of abuse. And when we have Mars coming together with Pluto, man, we're probably bringing stuff up from the underworld that could lead to uh, some really challenging emotions, some really challenging feelings that need to be released before we can move forward on our path. Um, one of the myths that came up with this, uh, I've been reading this book by Liz Green, The Astrology of Fate, and she talks about uh, Ereshkigal in relationship to Pluto, which was a Sumerian goddess, a, a lord of the underworld, and her relationship with Nergal. Nergal was a rough equivalent of Mars in the Sumerian myth. And, you know, Nergal went into the underworld, he brought with him 14 demons, left them at each of the seven gates that he had to pass through, uh, I don't know, as, as uh, sentinels or something of that nature, came face to face with Ereshkigal, and I guess there's another story in there about maybe forcefully overcoming her, and, but eventually they had to make some kind of agreement, um, and he became her wife, or her, her husband, sorry. Um, but he can, he, he, there's some par, uh, parallels between this story and the Persephone myth, where he had to stay there for like six months out of the year or something of that nature. So there is definitely underworld themes. What does the underworld represent in our experience as human beings, though? Things we've pushed underneath the surface. C corruption, right? This is where, and corruption happens when we repress something. And we don't deal with it, it can grow in the in the darkness. I mean, think about a place in your house if you you uh, it's dark and damp and you know it grows things like mold or something like that, and you have to deal with it, or it could make you sick, and it may be mysterious about how it may be creating an illness. I know that I have a lot of uh, friends who have had some dealings with mold, and uh, you know they were experiencing mysterious illnesses until they uh, found out the source of the of the corruption and dealt with it. And again, this could be dealing with hidden 
um, hidden trauma um, so we can move forward in our life. All right. Now, one warning with that is um, anytime we have Mars and Pluto coming together, uh, we can see some kind of potential volcanic type of energy. This was something that came up in Ren Butler's book, The Archetypal Universe, Volcanic Catharsis, Brute Force, Ruthlessness, Themes of abduction are common with Pluto contacts. Um, so we may be releasing some kind of violent emotion. But the key, and I think this is really important, that algal energy, yes, it can be protective. But the flip side of that is that Medusa lost her head, right? So there, there are some themes where if we allow our... Um, feminine protective. So Brady calls this the feminine Kundalini with Algol. If we, if we allow our feminine protective energy, okay, that's coming bubbling up from our subconscious and bubbling up from the, maybe the depths of our bodies, if we allow that to, to overwhelm us and to consume us, we may experience a defeat or we may experience some kind of um, beheading or some kind of like, like madness, right? Where we lose our head. There, the alcohol is, uh, you know, associated with literal beheadings in history. Um, on a personal note, this is a, a difficult story uh, for me, though. But I have a, I had an experience a few years ago with my my mother. My mother had a really severe stroke uh, a, a few years ago, and was in the ICU for a, a number of months, hooked up to all these wires, and basically looked like she had snakes coming out of her head. And in her progress chart, she had the moon right on Algol during this period of time. So literally, she was like a walking manifestation of, you know, losing your head and like being having the snakes. And um, she, you know, for a period of time, she uh, was not able to remember, uh, remember like who she was or anything like that. It was a really difficult period of time. It was a two month period to 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 make some kind of recovery. She still has quite a bit of physical challenges and, um, you know, is still pretty disabled from that experience. But uh, just alcohol is not really something to mess around with. It can, it can bring us some, some changes of some twists and turns of fate. And, and it wasn't anything that was, was her fault necessarily. Uh, it was just a, 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 bad, a bad hand that was blow, uh, distributed to her. You know, and we can see that with the moon, the moon being about more about chance, about fortune. Okay. Um, sorry to bum you out on that, but you know, it is it is a, a story that I think about often when Algol comes up, um, because uh, it just it was such a literal manifestation. These fixed star stories, they really can um, come up in really strange ways. I, I had another friend who was dealing with some algal stuff and has a, I think has an algal placement. And I believe that she had an experience with seeing uh, someone who had literally been beheaded on the subway uh, at one point um, and various other stories like that. So turning it back around to how we can deal with this energy. All right. On the 25th, we simultaneously, uh, after we've per per had the perfection of Mars, to Pluto, the trine. Um, we do see Venus moved into the first decan of Pisces where it is exalted. So this actually might be the period of time where we're finally just leaving the past behind. We're going off in search of some kind of new sense of purpose, some new meaning. The card associated with Pisces one is the eight of cups. So our discontent that we experienced uh, through all of our remembrances, through all of our grievances, finally is leading to moving on and potentially searching for some kind of new animating principle. So if we face the forces of darkness within ourselves, if we uh, have compassion for the trauma, if we have compassion for our inner Medusa, who was a victim, you know, in all respects, um, that may lead us to being able to, to, to deal with that energy in a way where we don't lose control and create 
uh, a lot of damage around us, right? Uh, so that's something really to consider because Mars really stirs things up. Mars can be uh, a, a normal fight or a normal argument under a like Mars transit uh, gets blown up to epic, very dangerous proportions with a contact with Pluto and with Algol. And it may lead to something, a, a really, it may lead to a really, um, a situation that you might regret if you aren't able to, to maintain your inner equilibrium when you're experiencing this. So that would be my warning with that. Um, and I think that the key is really the power of faith, is the power of the, the litai of, you know, repenting for the past um, or just forgiveness. It's not just repentance. Maybe you did have a situation where you were out of alignment with your integrity. Um, but maybe there's a narrative where you're telling yourself that you were at fault for something that was just uh, a blow of fate as well. And you may be carrying around guilt from that too. So uh, the flip side of repentance is, is forgiveness. So by forgiveness is an act of faith also, because we're, we are surrendering that old grievance. Um, we're surrendering to holding on to the idea that we're in control of everything right? When we, when we beat ourselves up about something, ultimately we're saying that we had control of this when in fact we, we may not have been in control and uh, we may have in fact been just dealt a bum hand. So I think those are the two, the two ways of dealing with this. So what I want to do now is I want to, I want to go back to our chart here and I'm going to draw something on the screen so that we can uh, check out um, I could check out, sorry, I'm going through all these different things. There we go. I think I'm still here. Can you still see me? I don't know why you can't see my screen here, but, um, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk about our hexagram. I always like to do an I Ching reading. I'm really finding that that is an oracle that resonates with me very deeply. There are certain oracles that, that some people can really get a handle on and others that, that uh, maybe don't speak to you as well. And I'm really finding a lot of benefit with the I Ching. I really um, gravitate towards Taoism and the Tao. Uh, if I had to say a spiritual tradition that, that would most inform my worldview, I think it would probably be that. Um, just being able to see the the uh, I don't know the natural rhythms of things and and try to become in alignment with it. That's something that's really appealing to me, and that I uh, really resonate with. So the hexagram that I got for this was again <laughs> just always an amazement. Um, was number five. Uh, patiently waiting, calculated waiting, or patience. And Hillary Barrett says in her wonderful translation, how can you wait patiently and with commitment, aka faith? Uh, while you wait, how can you make the best, uh, how can you best make yourself ready? So this isn't just about waiting idly. This is about preparation, right? This is about uh, not just waiting in resentment or in fear, uh, this is like waiting in joy, you know? Um, one of the changing lines of this talks about this potentially waiting in fear and resentment. Um, line number four says, waiting in blood, come out of the pit. Okay, well, we may be hanging on to those old piled up corpses that Algol, uh, you know, brings to the surface. You know, this may be like a, a flood comes through and brings up all of our past uh, grievances, all of our past traumas, and we have to deal with it. We have to come out of the underworld. We can't get stuck in the underworld with Agreshkigal and Nergal. We've got to come out for six months of the year, right? doesn't mean we never go in there to, to discover the source, but we can't stay there. It says, let go of negative and stubborn and outdated perspectives. Um, this could also mean shifting a perspective from victimhood to one of empowerment. But again, you'll have to figure out your own, um, your own story there. 
uh, it's okay to, to acknowledge that you may not have been in control of a certain situation. Uh, it says that enduring a bad situation does not necessarily equal virtue. So it, it, you're not going to get bonus um, spirituality points for keeping yourself in the dungeon of fear, of the past, of uh, the old narrative that seeks to disempower you. I mean, this is one of the things with Algol's. Algol was all about female empowerment. So we, we may be really feeling a sense of empowerment uh, when we see that contact as well. So line six says, entering the pit, there are uninvited guests. Three people come, honor them. In the end, good fortune. So this is interesting. Another theme of this was uh, they, they talked about uh, you know, God's coming in disguise. This really reminded me of the, of the Littai, because the Littai were hobbling old women that weren't necessarily attractive like, like a young Medusa. And we have to embrace uh, certain things that may look like challenges or hardships, but they may be something that are going to lead us to liberation eventually. So this is about working with what you were giving, given during this cycle. Um, it says to wait on your guests and be a good host. So instead of stubbornly pursuing a path that is rooted in the, the old story, uh, that is disempowering, um, you know, what, what is on the table for you right now? What opportunities have come up that you may be dismissing because you're so focused on what you think you should be doing? I think a lot of the times we can miss some really good opportunities. We can maybe even miss... Uh, divine intervention when we're so focused on stubbornly doing things our own way. And I, I think that it's really important right now to be open-minded to unorthodox uh, ways of doing things. And maybe just, you know, if something's come your way and you're like, oh, this could be good, maybe just try it out, experiment a little bit because, you know, it could be, could be something that uh, could lead to something really fruitful in the future. All right, so this is changing to the hexagram number one, which is called creative force or creative power. And Hillary Barrett asks these questions. How can you liberate creative energy? What wants to be created? Constancy bears fruit. So this is all about pure creative, maybe kundalini energy. We've been talking about dealing with both the masculine and the feminine uh, kundalini energy where it rises up through the body or we bring it down from the heavens. So maybe we need to balance out both of those processes. And a lot of the, the, the pain and hardship that we may be experiencing is just due to stuck create creative energy. So this may be a time to just get down to business and, and do the work, but consistently. Doesn't mean we have to rush out and do it all at once. Doesn't mean we just sit on the couch and never do anything. It just means we, we do the first action and then we do the next action and then we show up again the next day and we do the next one and the next one until eventually you've got quite uh, a, um, you've got quite a, oh, I don't know. What is the word I'm looking for? Uh, got quite a gallery of, of works of art that you have created, or you've got quite a field of fruit fruitfulness, right? You've got a bunch of vegetables that you've grown patiently over time. Um, you've proliferated some part of your life. But again, it takes constant attention over time. You can't overwater the field. Uh, you can't, you know, yell at it to make it grow faster. <laughs> you can't fight with it or chop it all up to, to punish it for not growing more quickly. Um, and you shouldn't discard it at the first sign of challenge. I think this is the other thing with Mars in the third decan of Taurus. We don't want to discard, we don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. We don't want to discard the whole project just because we come up against a few challenging, um, you know, obstacles that are probably inherent in the path. Like I said, anytime we're trying something new, uh, there just are new, new things to master. And I think if you think of it in that way, this is, this is just a new challenge to master. That can really help you uh, release a lot of the frustration that you might be experiencing with, with Saturn making that overcoming square with Mars. There's probably a reason why you've been slowed down. Uh, and, it, and it's probably because you're, you really, uh, really need to let go of some of this past stuff before you can create 
from a new foundation. Okay, so this is the key. If you're creating from the old corrupt foundation, it's it's you're you're just going to keep creating the same story and the same cycle over and over again, right? If you just uh, you know wipe the mold off of the wall, but you don't deal with the the leak in the roof that's saturating the drywall, it's going to come back. Do you know what I'm saying? So it, it, think about it like a drywall project. You got to cut the whole piece of drywall out, patch the roof up, and you know really lay that foundation instead of just putting a surface. Um, Band-Aid on it, um, where it will eventually just return and maybe even return worse. So uh, again, if you're not going to leave the past behind, this is where the suffering comes in. This is where you're choosing to suffer. You may not have chosen the trauma in the past, but now the choice is, are you going to let it consume you? Are you going to let it rule you? Are you going to let it be something that you create from? Now, I don't mean that we don't, you know, get stronger from some of our scars. That's not what I mean. We definitely do. But how can you integrate it rather than have it be something that is stopping you? All right. That's what I've got for you today. So I hope that you are all doing well out there. Thank you for hanging with me today. Good luck with Mars in Taurus 3. Uh, be patient. Be nice to yourself. Um, forgive yourself, you know, release the need to um, have control, you know, release it to a higher power. That's really, that's, I think that's the key through, through the power of prayer. Okay. Through the power of prayer, you, you, you're lifted, a burden is lifted from your shoulders, right? From saying, you know what, I'm going to give this over to na the natural process. That's going to be such a relief, you know? And I think that that's really, I think that's the key to sur surviving these times. So that's what I've got for you today. Um, if you are enjoying these videos, hit that like button. That really helps the algorithm and helps get it out to more and more people. That's the, the, the first thing that can really benefit what I do here. Um, make sure you subscribe to the channel. Uh, remember, I'm going to do another, uh, another YouTube live for the full moon on the 27th. I also have a, a fixed star talk coming up on the 21st. Um, I will try to include some links to that but check out my website for that. That's through a Victoria British Columbia astrology group, but it is open to the public. Um, that will be Sunday, the 21st of February. Um, if you want to make a material donation to the work that I do, I have a Venmo at Spencer Michaud or PayPal me, paypal.me backslash Spencer Michaud. All right, that's all, the, <laughs> that's all of the things that I have to say at the end of the videos. I hope you're all doing well. Be kind to one another and I'll talk to you soon. Peace.